Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Welcome to Living a Life Through Books, the podcast about everything bookish. Lit Hub put out a list where it curated all of the recommendations from all of the book reviewers, and they said, here's all their must-read lists of the summer, and The Vanishing Half was... I'm your host, Dr. Shanaz Ahmed, and today is a one-on-one book discussion. I have Katie back again on my podcast, if you'll remember. Katie was on my podcast sometime last year, and very recently. She was in my mid-year check-in, and she's a member of my book club. We decided to discuss The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. Before I go into our conversation, in case you missed the glaring spoiler alert in the beginning, consider this your spoiler alert and your last warning. There will be spoilers. Okay, now that I've got that out, this is part one of two. So let's not delay any further and let's get right to it. Katie, welcome, welcome, welcome back to my podcast. I feel like you live on my podcast now. Thanks. I really just need to put a little name sign on. I'm here too. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> you should. You should. You you seem like a permanent guest now. You know, it's like the Katie and Shana show. But today we are talking. What are we talking today? You want to tell today, them? We're talking about The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, which we were both lucky enough to get skip the line copies of on the Libby app, which is the best thing ever ever. We should talk a little bit about Skip the Line because there were some people on my page who hadn't heard of it before and it is the best thing ever for getting new releases. Do you know I've done episodes about Skip the Line? Like I have actually done episodes about how to get Skip the Lines and late like I even did an episode on how to cheat Skip the Line and to renew a Skip the Line which technically you cannot. That was so helpful because that seven-day period is just sometimes not enough when you're like me and your holds are always completely full. Right. So, yeah, just send them to my podcast. I don't know which episode, though. But, yeah, we got got the book on Skip the Line, both both of us. I don't know when the book was released. Do Do we know? It was recent. It was very recent, um, and it's the hottest book of the summer. Um, Lit Hub put out a list where it curated all of the recommendations from all of the book reviewers, and they said, here's all their must-read lists of the summer, and The Vanishing Half was far and away the number one pick. It was on everybody's list. This is the book everybody is going to be talking about, um, which is why I was so fortunate to get it this early. But, 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 here's my question, and I'm just going to be blunt about it. Is everybody talking about this book now because of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, or is this book standing on its own? If if this book was released last year at the same time, would it have gotten the same hype you think as it did as it did this year? I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just gonna ask the question. Well I think from the summary it has all of the pieces 
to a bestseller. When you say you've got this multi-generational family story, you've got some secret, you've got some mystery, there's some twists, there's some turns, that's the sort of thing that sells. It reminds me of Little Fires Everywhere, where it starts off with a bang. There's a problem, there's the um, mothers, and then there's the children, and there's some conflict going on between the different branches, and you have to figure out why. That's very reminiscent of how this starts. There's these two girls, they run away, they disappear. Now here's what happens with the generations. And that's what I think is like the key selling element is we like messy family stories. Those are the ones that got us talking recently. Right, right. And this is not just two teenagers that run away. They're twins. So you want to do a quick summary of the story, Katie? Or what do you think? Why don't you do the summary of the story? And I'll add in if I feel you missed something. Yeah, so I feel like this is one where the summary in the back of the book does not do it justice. And I've heard other people saying the same thing, that just saying multi-generational messy family story is not enough. Um, so, but to go into that, there are two girls, Desiree and Stella, and they're identical twins. And they live in a town called Mallard, where um, the residents are black, but many of them um, pass for white. And you are considered an ideal resident of this town if you look white and you look passably white and that's something that the town really puts on a high pedestal. Um, so these girls, um, their father died when they were very young in a very tragic way that haunts them and they are no longer able to go to school because their mother's running out of money. So after going to work as a maid in a house, they decide this is not the life they want for themselves. They're going to go and make a new life in New Orleans. So as they're down there, they're working together until Stella disappears one day, and Desiree never hears from her. So Desiree makes her own path, goes to D.C., she gets married, and has a daughter named Jude. Now, Desiree marries a man um, who is also Black, and their daughter um, looks Black. Now, again, we're remembering for reference, Desiree looks much more white than she does Black. Um, Stella the same way. And the man Desiree marries, I think his name is Sam, Sam is not just black, he's dark-skinned black. So he's not even a light-skinned black. It's very specific in the book that he's a dark-skinned black because this comes back later when Sam ends up being abusive to her and Desiree goes back home back to her mother after she had run away. These twins had run away. Now Desiree, one of the twins, comes back home to her mother. And I think it said somewhere in the book where her mother said, what do you expect if you marry a black man like that? And that was, but go ahead. Yeah, so that happened. So Desiree comes back so with Desiree Jude. <laughs> she comes back with her daughter, who again, much more resembles her father, into a town that is filled with residents who are Black, but again, appear white. So there is this difficulty of growing up for Jude as an outsider in a town where she's Black, but she's not the right kind of Black for her town. Um, so she's having this difficulty. Meanwhile, we find out that Stella has pretended all of these years to be a white woman and has married a successful white man um, and has had a daughter of her own, um, who is, and they are the very stereotypical American family um, and they are living in a white neighborhood and all is well until they get new neighbors. And, and her daughter, 
And Stella's daughter is very white, blonde haired, blue eyes, white. Like she has no, no semblance to being of black genetics. So Stella has this fear that she carries with her of being exposed because when this this book is taking place over the course of many years, um, beginning in the 50s and going up until the 80s. So at this time, racial segregation neighborhoods is happening very prevalently. So Stella is terrified um, at this point of having a very young child of if anyone were to find out that she's only pretending to be white, Will her marriage end? Will she be able to stay with her daughter? Will she be able to even live in this neighborhood anymore? How will this affect her family? How will this affect her safety? Um, Because again, thinking back to um, all the things going on at this time, um, they're living in California at this point in time. Um, So really there's these, all these historical pressures. And we also are moving back and forth in time up into their daughter's teenage years, where we see Jude grow up. She leaves the town of Mallard because, again, it's confining. She's experiencing racism in her town. She's not fully accepted. She goes to California, where she meets Reese. And now Reese I'm going to. <laughs> I know, but I'm going to go back to Stella, who's passing off as white, and you had said she got a new neighbor. Yes, that's important because the neighbor is black. And Stella is a neighborhood meeting, deciding and discussing this new black neighbor. How did this happen? How did our neighborhood even allow this and all of that? And Stella is there in this neighborhood meeting. And she's also, of course, very worried about being discovered because she's like a black person would know how black I am. So this is where Stella has to make decisions of how is she going to act around her neighbor? How is she going to act around her white neighbors? How is she going to present herself and her past? How far is she going to lie in order to protect herself? And it's really an emotional stirring moment for her of what decisions is she going to make? What alliances is she going to make in order to protect herself and her family? Um, so really a lot of very complex themes in this book. I don't want to give too many spoilers away if you haven't read it already. Well, we could do spoilers because I'm going to say there is a spoiler alert in the beginning of this podcast. That's true. (laughs) I'm just going to say there's a spoiler alert because otherwise we can't really discuss it fully and really unravel that great end or was it a great end you know that kind of thing but anyway so Desiree has Jude her daughter who goes to LA Stella is also in California with her daughter who's Kennedy and they're teenagers or in their early 20s and Jude meets Kennedy so they're cousins they're first cousins they're meeting each other but they have no idea that they're even related until Jude happens to see Kennedy's mom who looks exactly like her mom because obviously it's a mom's twin sister. 
which is just really such a startling moment of these two worlds that should have come together far, far earlier in their lives. These girls were inseparable all in the beginning. They said, you know, they did everything together, they're identical. It was like when they were at the funeral for their father, the seamstress said making a dress was like making a dress for like one body with like the two dresses for one body or something like that because they were so, so close to each other. Um, so then for these girls who look nothing alike who come from such different worlds, such different privilege um, for Kennedy to come from. And then the ways that they interact with each other, um, Jude wanting to understand Kennedy's life, wanting to be able to meet her mother, to meet who her aunt is. She's working um, as an assistant in the theater. So she's the one who's fetching tea and putting her dress on for her and helping her with these things, again, in a lower position where they are equals, they're cousins, they're first cousins. Um, they are equally genetics, um, but they are again seen as equals with each other or by society which is really fascinating right. looking at and, that and at that point when Jude was helping Kennedy Jude didn't know 100% that she was her cousin she was still she was obsessed with Kennedy because she knew she'd seen Kennedy's mom once and she was obsessed that no this is the person I'm so she wants to get to know her better to to basically ID her aunt to be like, I found my aunt. And so she gets obsessed with Kennedy and this obsession leads Jude to actually discover that yes, Kennedy's mom is her aunt, Stella. And uh, oh my gosh, what would you do if that happened? Jude, what she does, she has the guts to just go up to her aunt and say, what does she say? She's like, hi, you are, are you so-and-so? Do you know Desiree? That's your sister. I'm her daughter. You're from Mallard. Oh, she's just like going off. And Stella, in a state of shock, runs away. I mean, can we blame her? Because we see all throughout the book and I have complicated feelings about Stella. Don't get me wrong. I was telling you the whole time I was reading it, Stella needs to get redeemed for me at some point, And I don't think it ever really happened. But Stella in that moment, I think, is just such a human reaction of she's been lying for so many years. And some of the lies are selfish, but some of them are also, as a mother, she doesn't want to be taken away from her daughter. As a wife, she doesn't want to be separated from her husband. As a woman, she doesn't want to feel attacked in the way that her father was attacked. I know she doesn't, but she has always been lonely throughout the book. And she, even that black neighbor, she befriends them. First, she befriends them out of guilt that she treated them poorly and used her white privilege now because she's considered white. But then she befriends her as a friend. And she really... Is missing this black connection. She's missing this black connection. So I would, I would think, oh my God, you're my niece. Give me a hug. Please don't tell anyone about it. Give me a hug. Let's talk later. Not well, so for her, she was shocked because of the way she was raised in Mallard. And to have, because she was saying, you cannot be Desiree's daughter because you look nothing like somebody from Mallard. Right. Which is so interesting is her saying it as both a resident of Mallard, as a Black woman, but also as 
a white woman as Stella the wife, you know, to have both of these identities at once saying, you can't be my sister's daughter. Um, it's like the, the levels of, you know, bias that she has against her own blood because she's like, this could never have happened. And it's like this double way of not being out accepted because one, you're from Mallard, so you know my past, you could expose me, but two, you can doubly expose me because my family at least looked enough that we could all pass. But she's like, you would really expose me out here on the sidewalk, I can't do this. But right. we also have to keep in mind that there was the time jump. We're no longer in the 50s. We're still not in a time of, you know, racial equality yet, but it's not as dangerous as it first was for her to be a Black woman in society. Right. But so she feels like we've never own up to it because she's like, well, then Kennedy will know I've been lying the whole time. My husband would know I'd been lying the whole time. So then is it worse for them to know the truth or to know that I'm a liar, you know? Right. And then uh, let's go back to Jude. Jude has a friend, Reese. Reese is, oh my gosh, that he is the most compelling character. I wanted nothing but good things in this world for Reese. He must be loved and protected. <laughs> Tell me about Reese. Let's talk about Reese. I loved him. The minute they introduced him, they, Reese and Jude met her freshman year of college at a party. He was dressed up as a cowboy at a Halloween party, and she never felt desired or loved and broke my poor heart because in Mallard, all the boys made fun of her because they said, you know, she's too black for the town. They don't want it. She was only loved in secret by one of the boys, and um, her mother's boyfriend said you know this is not how a woman should be treated you should not accept a man who only loves you in secret and then in comes dreamy reese who at a party accepts her in public and but reese has a secret because their love is very complicated again thinking of where we are in time because reese is not reese is a transgender and at this time having surgery is very expensive and very risky. Reese is not on speaking terms with his family. Reese is trying to get hormones off the street, which is not safe. It's not cheap. It's a life of secrets. It's a life of always trying to be safe, but not knowing that you can be. And it's very hard because there are these walls, but they're very different walls than what Jude experienced previously, where they were trying to keep her out. Where yes, Reese is trying to keep Jude out, but all because he's trying to protect himself, not that he doesn't love her, because he's not comfortable in his own body because his body is still a woman's at this point in time. And he has such, he does not identify with it at all. And it's really, really tragic to just read how unhappy he is and how helpless he is to change his situation. And what Jude does, I think, is just marvelous in their relationship. If you want to speak a little bit about their relationship, which just moved me in so many ways, I rooted for them, I think, the most out of any of the characters. I mean, I believe the relationship all came from Reese because Reese accepted Jude and said that he found Jude beautiful. He found her color beautiful and he accepted her and then they actually, you know, he just wanted her to be with him. Just that's it. You're going to be a part of my life. But he's still being the 
complexities of his transgender situation and all that. He was with her, but he was still keeping her at a little bit of a distance because his chest was bandaged and and he was just trying to go through all of the stuff. But then finally he lets go and he accepts Jude fully and their relationship comes to full fruition and they're really, they're having a full-blown relationship. They're not married, but they're living essentially a married life and they're happy together. They support each other. And uh, when Jude finds out about everything and she's also right there for him. And I think it's so like refreshing how all of it is seen as so like normal. I love that their love is their love because it's their love, you you know, and it's tricky, but they always make it work. It's never a moment of agonizing of, oh, am I making the wrong decision for them? It's so easy, you know, and they're willing to sacrifice whatever they need to. Jude takes on a job doing catering, which her mom's like, you're off going to college so you can have a better life. So you're not serving white people the way that we had to do when we were like teenagers your age. Like, why are you going back to do this when you could have so much more? And to her, it's no question. She's like, I will have no sleep and I will sacrifice because I want him to be able to have surgery in a safe way. I want him to be able to live a life that's not untrue to himself um, and that so he can be happy. And it's just, and she doesn't tell her she's doing this because she's like, I know you'll say no and you won't let me help you, but I want help. Right. Mm-hmm. And yes. it's just so sweet in how... Um, together they just make their own family and that's one of like the very defining things of the book is how do you make a family we see with Stella she makes a family she goes off and she's like I'm going to create a whole different identity I'm going to create a whole new Stella so that I can have what I thought I've always wanted um how Desiree leaves her husband behind and instead has a very untraditional boyfriend in early who is a bounty hunter so very Star Wars um and (laughs) who is her lover from when she was a teenager. And he was dark-skinned, too. He was, and he was probably one of the most kind-hearted characters in the whole book because he worked really hard. He never stopped loving her. And even though they would only see each other very sporadically throughout all of the years, he always came back home to her, and he saw her mother as his mother-in-law. And it's very interesting because Desiree and Stella's mother wants her daughters, of course, to be happy and they want a traditional path set out for them. But Desiree is like, no, I'm not married to early, but we're very happy in our arrangement and we are our own little family this way. In the same way that Desiree's like, well, Jude, I want you to be happy. And she's like, well, Reese and I aren't married, but we're happy in our own way. And that whole branch has so much success because they don't need the traditional trappings of success and the American dream and all these things. They go, well, we're happy in our own way. And because they accept that happiness isn't going to be all the time because they understand that things are going to be difficult and sometimes sacrifices have to be made. That early is going to be gone a lot (laughs) that um he is not one of the residents of mallard that 
they're probably not that they don't ever have children together but that's okay because he loves her and he accepts her and he supports her wholeheartedly and he thinks about her all the time and he's never going to hurt her all he does in his life is protect her and make sure nothing bad will happen right and uh, the interesting thing with early is stella's mom i mean desiree stella's mom did not like him in the beginning not at all because it was again she had to work through her bias biases um, to figure out like because they had never been exposed to anybody who was lighter to to someone who was darker skin even though they had a black identity they were saying well you need to look exactly like us to fit in otherwise we're going to have these assumptions about you um which was really interesting that we had in Desiree's first marriage, all the fears that her mother had instilled of her of, well, if you don't stay with somebody that looks like us and stay with the people of the town, here's what will happen to you. But then we see, well, that's that's why we can't, that's wrong, you know, and she's able to shatter this for her mother in the most personal way of saying, Early is basically your son-in-law. Look at all he does for you. And to me, it's heartbreaking that Early has to sacrifice all of those years to always come back and take care of... Um, um, her mother and make sure that she's well cared for she's losing her memory and that it's only at that point in time that's like okay I accept that this is the situation it takes all of those years and all of those sacrifices and all of those examples and outpourings of love for her to be like oh okay this is you know this is what this life is and I sh- right. I was wrong so the story goes on once Stella is essentially exposed by Jude Jude tells Kennedy that they're really cousins and Stella is her aunt and all of that, which then Kennedy confronts her mother. And the interesting part of it is Kennedy gets so obsessed and Stella decides to go back to Mallard. But she goes back only to tell her sister to tell her niece, sister's daughter, to lay off her child, to lay off this whole thing, leave me, leave her alone. That's why she goes back. That was her intention. Am I right? It was, and I was screaming in my head this whole time because I'm like, yes, Stella Redemption, finally, because I was so horrified by Stella's choices because again, I'm like, I understand you're human. I understand you're not perfect. I understand you're trying to protect yourself, but she is... Encourage, she encouraged racism in her daughter. She used language that was blatantly racist to her daughter to describe her neighbors and then was surprised when her daughter repeated it again. She was against the neighbors moving in because they were Black. She did not speak well of them at all to the white neighbor. She's like, she was um, playing, um, you know, Peter in the Bible of, oh, I don't know them. I don't know them. I'll keep denying them. You know, I don't hang out with them. Why would you say that? You know? Right. And she was hanging out every day. Because she just wanted that piece of acceptance where she could be herself, whatever herself was at that point, because where was real Stella and where was the Stella she invented? And when did those two Stellas become different, you know? and But then her redemption or wannabe redemption, or I mean, the readers want for redemption. She went to this town just to tell her sister to tell her daughter, Jude, to lay off her daughter. And uh, 
then she just leaves her wedding ring, her expensive wedding ring there. With Early, which she was not going to do in the first place because she was going to leave without saying goodbye to anybody. It was only because Early woke up and said, I'll drive you into town that this interaction happened. She wasn't going to leave the wedding ring on the table with a note. She explicitly said she was not going to say goodbye. And I'm like, no, we could have had a redemption arc. <laughs> but she didn't say goodbye. She didn't. And because Early was not part of her story. Early is the part of Desiree and Jude's story because he was the one who came in as a husband and as a father, and he was the one who helped with their arc. She never knew Early in any of those contexts, so to say goodbye to him is nothing. It, he, she didn't hurt him. And, and even when she came back, she wasn't that close to Desiree kind of a thing. Did you feel that closeness with them? She was just, she just came back, like, they were complete strangers-ish. Ish. Because like, it had been well over 20 years at that point in time. And because it was so different, they were saying of they used to be so much the same person. And again, they had different personalities then, but the obviously because they're two different people, but the idea of if you grow up in two completely different cultures, if you grew up in two completely different circumstances with those 20 years gone by, having more time apart than you live together, because they ran away as teenagers, now over 20 years went by, well, what happens? And we see, it's not that Stella wants to come back. She, she doesn't, doesn't want to come back. She, she never doesn't... wanted to come back. She would not have come back if Jude hadn't interfered with all of this, which but I have to, to give back. you props for Jude. You gotta give props for Jude for pushing it. But to come back, I feel like also to her represents a fall of sorts because home for her represents she could not get an education. Home for her represents violence where her father, when she was very, very young, she witnessed him being lynched by a crowd of white men. For her, going home is not a safe place. Um, she was the one who was getting, um, she was abused by her um boss when she was working um, as a um, servant in the household. And to her, going home is not safety. But for Desiree, she reclaims Mallard by bringing Jude back and says, this doesn't only have to be a place for me. This can be a place for you, too. This is a place where she works at the diner and becomes such an, like a part of it that they're like, we should just call it after you because this is your place, Desiree. This is a place where she sets down roots helping her mother up until she dies. This is a place that she has reclaimed, even though they both experienced that same violence. Desiree says, and that they still know, you know, all of the underpinnings of the town. Desiree says, well, let me make it something different. And she goes to try and make that change. But Stella isn't interested in ever changing opinion because she could have said in her neighborhood meeting, she could have been the brave one and she could have said, well, what's wrong with a black couple what, living next door? Right, what is wrong with their people too? She could, have, she could have stepped up as a white woman and used her white privilege at that point to speak up, but she didn't. She didn't. Okay, so at the end, of course, uh, we have Desiree's with Early, Stella's back with her husband, Kennedy's pursuing acting, and... Jude with Reese and Jude and Kennedy are just talking 
once in a while, on and off. And I was disappointed about that. Like, somehow I was hoping these girls would let the past go with their parents and become best friends. And, you know, that's what I wanted for both of them. I wanted that. Okay, I, I'm just, you know, I just want a super happy ending with no conflict. I get it. It makes no sense. But I wanted it where it wasn't just this. They do talk, but not much. And then the parents don't know that they talk. And, of course, you know, Stella left and goes back to her life. And um, the end. And then, oh, my gosh. And then uh, the mom dies. Their mom dies. And... Um, does I mean not Desiree Stella's not there I mean it's just oh my gosh just all of that it is I feel like it'd be impossible for um Jude and Kennedy to be friends because of because Kennedy can't really accept who she is because it's an interesting moment where Kennedy is the most all American name ever. They're like, you know, you should, because there's the one line where they say you should change your name because it just reminds me of a dead president, you know? Right, 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 right. Uh-huh. If you're saying the Kennedys, you're thinking, you know, they're the American royalty, which is really how Kennedy is raised, where she's the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, you are the ideal American poster child at this time. You know, she's raised in wealth. She's raised in privilege. She's raised with a family that's like, you know, if there's a problem, we're going to take care of it. And that includes making sure that we don't have black neighbors and we're going to keep our little world inside of a bubble. And she's raised in such a bubble of she drops out of college and says, I want to be an actress, even though this is not a path that's ever going to work out for her. But her family says, well, we'll still fund it, honey. You can do what you want to do. Whereas we see Jude is her black identity is something she grows up with. She knows about it's part of her culture. It's part of who she is where it makes no sense for Kennedy. When she's told this information, she's like, well, how am I supposed to be black when I was never raised to be that? And then she does try a little bit. She's dating a black man. She's like, well, what if I were to tell you I'm black? And he's like, but you're not. Cause right. it's, cause she doesn't have any of those, cultural point she has nothing in her family to direct her towards that she has no friends to direct her towards that and that's not Jude's job to tell her well this is what our family is this is what your culture is this is what your legacy and your inheritance these are all these things that come with being who you are because Kennedy is who she is based on how she was raised and she's very spoiled and she's very she's Kennedy You know, meanwhile, Jude is working two jobs, going to school full time, you know, trying to be a doctor, all these things of, you know, lift yourself up by your bootstraps. She has, you know, her parents love and that's her advantage in life. And that's, you know, everything else is she's worked for. She's able to go to college on a track scholarship that she worked hard for. All these things are stuff that she's earned and she knows what love is she's able to love Reese wholeheartedly she's able to love her mother and her grandmother um wholeheartedly but Kennedy doesn't love her mother wholeheartedly because she there's those lies those there's those barriers because the mother lied to her she's always leaving them (laughs) yes I mean they're just it's kind of like everything my mom ever told me was a lie because there's the whole history of that where Kennedy says well when I was five I asked about 
my mom and where she came from. And she said, everyone was gone. And when I was this age, my mom said this and, and she knows instinctively that she's been liked to right from when she was a child. And so when that's your point of reference, how does she know whether her mom's telling her the truth or not? And how can she even trust her? And then when she finds out, she's like, okay, fine, whatever. But I think there's also the issue of, hey, I'm white. I don't want to be black. I, I, why should I even deal with that kind of, there is that, I know she tells her boyfriend that, hey, I'm black, but there is that secretive thing of, I'm okay here. And I think that's something that I wish we could see more of her working through and trying to come to terms with, but she's still defined as a white woman throughout her career. She goes on to do, she does not really succeed as an actress. She does a little bit of time on a soap opera, again, playing very much the girl next door character. And the girl next door character has to be the white girl um, in this time, because we're still in the eighties very firmly. and. You know, she's saying, well, I should have, I should have had more. My character should have had more. She still has all this idea of, well, I deserve more. Where Jude never has this attitude. Jude is always like, well, if I worked for it, I have it. If I don't, well, that's why, you know? And right. it's so different because Kennedy never grows out of this idea of she deserved more out of life. Which is so, but I mean, in some ways, again, because she never had the love that Jude did. Because there was that really sad flashback where her, where Stella's making a cake for the neighbors, the very, I'm very sorry the, for not being a good person cake. The crooked <laughs> cake, who makes a cake like this with the, you know, who make, yeah, the crooked, like who even bakes like this? It was, that was interesting too. It was kind of like, there is a stereotype of that black people bake better than whites and that she's lost her baking ability because she's lost her blackness, which it's a stereotypical thing, but here you have this clueless, rich, white woman trying to bake this crooked cake. She wasn't trying to bake a crooked cake, but it ends up being something. And she's like, oh, I don't remember what comment the neighbor made, but it was funny. It was like, okay, you know, like, thank you. But then when poor little Kennedy is like, well, mommy, can I, you know, she wants to help. And she's like, well, no, why would she always has these walls up of you can't help me because in her mind, well, nobody can help her. She's like, I have to be my own person. I, ha I did everything for myself. I can't, she can't even let her daughter into her life because if she lets her get too close, she'll know who she is. And it's like, yes, you're Stella. You're her mother. Like, and it's so scary that to her, for her to know who Stella is, is terrifying. So poor Kennedy is just so used to being refused her whole life um, that I think, you know, she wants to be accepted. But if she were, if Kennedy, for example, were to go to Mallard, what would happen for her there? And that's it for this episode. Some housekeeping notes that I will also add to my show notes. You can reach Katie on Instagram. Her handle is underscore katie.reads. That's underscore K-A-T-I-E dot reads. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook on Living a Life Through Books. Or you can email me at livingalifethroughbooks at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you. As always, 
please share this podcast with your family and friends and share it on your social media pages. I thank you. If you loved this episode or any of my previous episodes, please consider writing me a review on Apple Podcasts. Or here's the link to write me a review. Go to www.ratethispodcast.com backslash living a life through books. The opening and closing music to this and all my previous episodes was composed by my husband, Brad Slavic. I'm Dr. Shanaz Ahmed with Living a Life Through Books, signing off. Remember to water the seeds within you. It's time.